Welcome into the Thunder Basketball Universe. Nick and I are reliving a wild game six where Chris Paul dropped 15 points in the fourth quarter to pull out yet another clutch time win. The series now comes down to game seven and we've got you covered on what you need to know going into that pivotal matchup. Let's get to it. It's the Thunder Basketball Universe. With their backs against the wall, down three to two, going into a do or die game six. The Thunder do what they do and they come out on top, bring the game down to the wire and stretch the series to seven games. Nick, what was going through your head in that final fourth quarter? Chris Paul does what Chris Paul does. I actually texted that to a friend uh, who's a <laughs> huge NBA fan and he had just texted me, Christopher Emmanuel Paul. And that was the entirety of the text. That's it. That's the text. <laughs> that's really what you needed to know uh, if you were a Thunder fan, if you were an NBA fan, if you're one of the people around the entire globe who had circled this series as the one to watch in the first round, uh, you chose correct because this one has been highly dramatic and has really lived up to the billing. That's right. And here's the thing about this game. It wasn't really pretty for the whole four quarters. It was a turnover heavy. I mean, Houston had 22 turnovers and the Thunder had 19. It was a foul heavy game. And there just wasn't really a, an offensive rhythm or flow for either team. Low scoring, 100 to 104 was the final score. Nick, what did it take for this team to come out on top? Well, despite having as many young players as it does, guys like SGA, Lou Dort, Darius Baisley, who are heavy fixtures in this eight, nine-man rotation, you can throw Terrence Ferguson in there too, they seem to understand what being in a game six in a back-against-the-wall situation is really like. And Paris, what you just described, that's what game seven is going to be too, even, maybe even more so. It's going to be a grinded-out game. Game sevens are typically fairly low-scoring. Um, it's going to be shock, just full of nerves, uh, guys making mistakes, guys trying to make a, an extra play here or there, uh, guys maybe a little timid to make a play. Uh, but the Thunder stuck with it. They didn't try to play outside of themselves. And when it came down to crunch time, they were close enough. They were within six points with four minutes to go. And that's, you know, that's like Tiger Woods being 150 yards away on, on the fairway in regulation, ready to go in and try to, to, to get a birdie. And that's exactly what the Thunder have. They have Captain Clutch on their team, the ace up their sleeve, who is ready to go in these clutch situations. Chris Paul leads the league in clutch time scoring, and he showed out in the fourth quarter with 15 points, eight of which came in the last two minutes in a really pivotal point in this game. He scored eight of the Thunder's last 12 points, including two massive three-pointers. This guy is just it, it, like a light switch just goes off whenever the team gets down in that clutch time in the game. And just a reminder, the definition of clutch is when the game is under five minutes and the margin is five points or fewer. And that's exactly where the Thunder found themselves. And that's when Captain Clutch went off. It's all because Chris knows exactly what spots he needs to get to on the floor. We saw earlier in the game, he really hit that mid-range jumper. The Thunder went 10 of 15 
on non-paint twos in the game. That's really been the bread and butter all season long. But then Chris got to his spots on those two crucial three-pointers on back-to-back possessions, Paris. One was at the very top of the key. He's talked about that kind of being his point guard spot. That's where he's used to hanging out with the ball, surveying the landscape. So that dead eye three, he's got that one down pat. And then the other one came on the right slot. And Chris has this knack for doing kind of this sidestep three-pointer. And, you know, he hoists the ball a little bit over his shoulder. And so when he's going right, he actually can make that shot pretty unblockable. So even with uh, Robert Covington right on him, Paul side shuffled a little bit to his right, hoisted that three and drained a huge one to tie it at 98. Those 15 points out of 28, which led the thunder for the entire game. And Nick, you mentioned it. This guy had an unbelievable game. He also had zero turnovers, which was key, especially just in this start stop, not really offensive momentum flowing game. Chris Paul really did a great job of kind of facilitating and helping get everybody organized and find and generate those quality shots, especially down the stretch. And that's something that's been so important for the Thunder throughout this series. Coach Donovan has said it over and over again. We need to be able to generate high quality looks and and get to the rim and put pressure on the rim. And that's what we saw from Chris Paul. I mean, he, he did dance a little bit in that mid-range, and they had to back off and really respect his drive, which gave him enough daylight both in the mid-range and from behind the three-point line to get that shot off that we all know is basically unblockable. Yeah. Well, we noticed also, Paris, that you mentioned the turnovers. Really coming out of halftime, it was clear that whichever team wasn't turning the ball over was getting really good offense. And otherwise, the teams were really struggling to get anything, and it was causing uh, mayhem when they were turning the ball over. So the fact that CP3 had zero for the whole game, but then forced three Houston turnovers inside the final few minutes, that was amazing. He had a steal on the weak side on James Harden. He straight up ripped Russell Westbrook at the top uh, just on a, a, a swipe of Westbrook's dribble. And then the, the savviest play – Harden sets a screen for Westbrook, who comes around right, barreling towards the lane. Paul just kind of cuts into Westbrook's driving lane, flashes across his vision, distracts him just the slightest, and it forces Westbrook to bail out of his drive and kick back a pass to Robert Covington, except the pass went flying over Covington's head, and that basically sealed the game. That's right. And I'm glad you brought this up because that defensive effort by the Thunder in that final stretch was just as important as Chris Paul's clutch scoring there. I mean, the Thunder got stops on seven of Houston's last eight possessions, and it really was a collective effort by everybody to be sharp on their rotation, something that they did really well in the first half of this game. They were rotating really well, flying out to shooters, and held Houston to only 29% shooting from the three-point line in the first half. That's something that they did a great job replicating and turning up the intensity a little bit when it came down to the wire of being able to get those critical stops so that they could pull ahead and get those extra possessions late in the game. Yeah, you mentioned the three-point shooting in in Paris. It's such a fine line in this series. You look at it, the the difference between when Houston hits 15 threes like they did last night and when they hit 20 threes like they've done in, in some of these wins, that's what the Rockets are doing. They are playing the math game. And oftentimes, it's going to just come down to how many threes did they end up actually hitting. 
We've talked a lot about Chris Paul, but he was very clear about mentioning after the game that it wasn't just him. The Thunder did it by committee, and it took everybody on the floor that checked into the game. And you see it in the box score. Five players for the Thunder scored in double figures for the first time in this postseason. And that's something that has been a, a huge part of the Thunder's identity throughout this season is that balanced scoring. And you see it playing out here. And Nick, throughout this entire game, we've mentioned it several times. I mean, there wasn't really a, a solid offensive flow, which meant that different points in the game, different players needed to step up and bring some different energy. In particular, a couple guys who really struggled in game five, SGA uh, had a, a single digit uh, performance. He bounced back again and actually had all 10 of his points in the first half, but also played facilitator. He had six assists and, and that really helped the Thunder's offense continue to thrive. But it was good to see him kind of get going in that first half. He was one of the leading scorers. And then the player that the Thunder really tried to target at the beginning of this game was Danilo Gallinari. They flashed him into the middle of the lane for deep seals, early post-ups, just to try to get the ball in his hands. They kind of had him uh, run as a little bit of a playmaker on offense too, just to get him a feel of the ball. He actually missed it two or three wide open three-pointers in the first five minutes or so of that game. But what it did was just allowed him to get a few shots off, try to get into some semblance of a rhythm. And Gallo did what he does, which is nine of 17, four three-pointers, 25 points, Venti Dorme. Venti Dorme. We love to see it. But that's exactly what stood out to me in that th those first two quarters was the Thunder perimeter players made a concerted effort, you could tell, to get downhill and put pressure on the rim, especially Lou Dort. And this is where Coach Donovan really praised Lou, especially in that first quarter, was he was the facilitator to getting Danilo open three-pointers. Even though they didn't fall, they were wide open looks and they were great for Danilo just to get some offensive rhythm going, get, see the shot go up and get some easy looks. And that paid dividends, like you mentioned, when he started to go off midway through that third quarter, or sorry, that first quarter, and then finished with 25 points. So I really think that the Thunder's ability to A, space the floor, and you have guys like Lou Dort using their athleticism and their ability to attack, to get to the rim, draw that help side defense and kick it out on the perimeter for an open three. Even though the shots didn't fall early on for Danilo, it ended up paying dividends down the road. Yeah, this is such a vital point in this series, and it will be going beyond this uh, if the Thunder advances past game seven, all five players on the floor for the Thunder have to be a threat with the ball in their hands. And what Houston did in game five and the Thunder allowed them by not necessarily having the best spacing, not having the best movement, not playing with the right pace and tempo was that Lou was kind of marginalized into just a catch and shoot player. And that's not the, the best element of his game. What Donovan did, what Lou did at the beginning of, of game six was be very assertive, make very quick decisions. They weren't always the best decisions, but what they did is they forced Houston to account for Lou Dort on the move, on the drive. He could have had four or five assists in this game if some shots had gone down from his teammates. And all of that was because he was putting the ball on the deck. He was putting pressure on Houston. And Paris, I really think that that paid dividends later in the game too, because mm -hmm. he knocked down a pair of huge threes to actually give the Thunder a 77-75 lead. And I don't think that happens if the entire rest of the game, he's just spotted up in the corner waiting to touch the ball maybe for two seconds on, on every possession. He had an opportunity 
to, to feel that ball a little bit more and just be in a flow, be a playmaker. When you're creating like that, it really does kind of boost your confidence as, as a shooter and just a scorer in general. The other thing that adds to that is your teammates. And we heard this from Coach Donovan. We heard it from Chris Paul after the game. He said he's going to ride with Lou Dort until the wheels fall off. I mean, that is the confidence that this team has in Lou. And after game five, one of the things that they wanted Lou to do was shoot the ball. No matter what happens, they have too much confidence in him. They believe in him too much for him not to shoot. And, and he is just a vital part to this Thunder offense. And so the, his teammates really were feeding into him and, get, and I think really added to his confidence because, like you mentioned, those two three-pointers came at a pivotal point in the game. And they were both kind of on possessions where, you know, it was a little awkward. Maybe, you know, Darius Baisley got caught there in the middle of the lane with, with maybe one option, and it was Lou Dort on a three-point and he made it and those are the the tide turning plays where things might look like they're about to break down but Lou Dort having that confidence from his teammates and from being a playmaker early in that game really allowed him to step into that shot and shoot it with confidence another player for the Thunder who made a huge impact but didn't quite make that double digit scoring list was Darius Baisley the other rookie who came in in the second quarter and knocked down the Thunder's first free throws of the game, which is huge. The Thunder didn't have any free throws in that first quarter. And Darius came in and shot six on consecutive possessions. It was a great little spurt of energy. Like we mentioned, I mean, it was just wasn't the, the offensive rhythm that the Thunder was looking for, but having those incremental points keep dropping in the Thunder's direction, I think really made a big difference. We talk about a lot, Paris, that when your offense is not clicking, when you're not knocking down shots at a prolific rate, you have to just keep the scoreboard moving. You got you to gotta just inch your way forward so that when you go on a little run, you're close enough to make it a threat. And Darius did a wonderful job, went to the free throw line on three out of six possessions for the Thunder and really put pressure on the rim. We're seeing his ability with that long, striding, attacking style, being able to dribble with both the right hand and the left hand. And even at his size, 6'8", six, 6'9", the ability to put the ball on the deck and get fouled, get around guys. Uh, it's really impressive. But Paris, the thing I want to point out, his rebounding, nine boards. Again, this is a kid who didn't play organized basketball last year and now in the playoffs against one of the most veteran teams in the NBA, Bays is holding his own as a rebounder. That's incredible. We have to talk about this, though, that this has been a full year worth of NBA basketball, like the like calendar year for, for Darius as an NBA player. So his ability to kind of soak up everything that the coaches are telling him, everything that Chris Paul is telling him, and use that to develop incrementally throughout the season, we're seeing it pay off right before our eyes. We are really seeing this guy grow right in front of our eyes. And his ability to do the things that don't necessarily show up in the stat sheet. And one of my favorite examples is just sprinting down the floor in transition. Having that level of buy-in as a rookie to know that, A, I might not get the ball if I sprint down the floor. I mean, it, it might not pay off for me on the score sheet. But by doing this, I open up more opportunities for my teammates because that means that somebody else has to guard me down the floor and maybe Dennis or, or Chris can kind of accelerate and finish at the rim uncontested. Just kind of having that level of buy-in, I think has really paid off on the flip side where he's doing the little things that are allowing him to get these rebounds 
and to find ways to get to the bucket. I just think it's a really big sign of maturity for Darius and an area where it, we're really seeing his potential in this league. Yeah, it, it's all about the details. You know, Paris, a year ago, he came into the practice facility at like midnight and tried to start his own laundry. <laughs> now he's, you know, boxing out, rebounding, you know, making sure he's positioned correctly. Uh, things are really coming full circle for the rook. Here at the Thunder, we like to keep the main thing, the main thing. Nick, the main thing is the Thunder's going into game seven. This means the series is tied and the Thunder has an opportunity to advance into the second round. And obviously this is my first year here, but you are the veteran on this podcast. What is it like going into a game seven? Well, I will have to say I've never gone into a game seven that was inside a bubble where there's no home court advantage after a global pandemic, um, a, a hiatus and, and all of the things that have been going on. I, before my time here, the, the Thunder in 2011 uh, was in a game seven against Memphis, came out victorious in that series. That was a wild series with a lot of overtime games. I started with the team in 2012, and so my first game seven was against Memphis again in 2014. Thunder was actually down 3-2 in that series, came back and stormed back one at Memphis in game six, and then came back home and took care of business. Paris, you cannot imagine what Chesapeake Energy Arena was like in that game seven as the Thunder closed that one out. And then I really can't talk about this too much, but game seven at Oracle Arena, Game 7 in 2016 against the Golden State Warriors. Uh, that, one, that one was rough. Um, but what I will say is the, the attitude is the same in all of these situations, which is really the time for talking is over. Mm-hmm. These teams know each other. It, it's all about the action at this point. They know what the opposing team is going to do. It's all about who can execute better, who has the will to win, who's diving on the floor for the loose balls, who's diving on the floor for loose balls when they actually should and not going overboard and actually putting their team at a disadvantage by over-hustling. Really, it comes down to the little things that we talked about, the concentration, the focus, but also the instincts and wherewithal to just be able to play and win. Game sevens are just, you're so familiar with one another, right? I mean, there's nothing new that either team can throw out there to kind of catch the other team off guard. So Nick, if I'm hearing you right, it really just comes down to heart and and the character of the team. And I think this is where it's really encouraging for the Thunder. You heard Chris Paul kind of off the top of this show say, we just needed a chance. And how fitting that they bring this series to the final game. It is clutch time of this series, and it'll be full of emotion. But the Thunder has done a great job so far this season of remaining that level-headedness so that they can come out and play their best basketball and play to their identity and play the way that has gotten them so far here at this point in the series. Just to put in perspective, Paris, the Thunder has won 47 total games this year if you include the regular season and the playoffs. 33 of those 47 wins have been clutch time wins. So this team is very comfortable being in those situations. And as you mentioned, how can you get more clutch time than game seven? It is now time for Made You Look. And what made us look was something that Chris Paul said after the game of game six. He said that before coming into this game, when you're kind of on the ropes and your back's against the wall and you're down 3-2, you have to have your bags packed 
before going into the game. And as we all know, this is just an unprecedented situation when it comes to playing in a playoff series. But this is just something mentally that I, I just couldn't wrap my head around. It was just having your bags packed, ready to leave before you go into game six. But clearly, Thunder's not ready to go yet. Yeah, Paris, I got to say, that is one of the strangest parts of being in some of these playoff series over the years is I remember being in San Francisco inside the hotel and, you know, there was the room that was ready inside the hotel to have a little celebration uh, if the Thunder had advanced to, to go on to the NBA Finals in 2016. Like you said, I was all packed, packed and ready to go if uh, we needed to start heading off to an NBA Finals destination or whether we were heading back to OKC. And, and you go to the arena that night not knowing where your flight might be departing to. It is just this <laughs> crazy dynamic of, that is unprecedented in any other playoff situation. What adds to that is that the Rockets and the Thunder are the last two teams left in the Grand Floridian Hotel in Orlando. So these are the only two teams remaining in, in this exact hotel. They're one floor separated, and it's just – it's something you've never experienced before. And I just have to imagine that this is just such a strange environment for these guys because you're competing. I mean, these games are intense every single night. They're physical and they're hard fought games. And then you go back to the same hotel and it's just this strange new environment. So by the time all of this is said and done and the series is over, there will be one team remaining in the Grand Floridian Hotel. You know, Paris, uh, don't judge me for this, but my wife watches a lot of The Bachelor and Bachelorette. And this really feels like when, you know, the final two are competing for that last rose and they got to go back to the, the house and, you know, all that. So uh, very, very dramatic uh, situation, I, I would assume. But it does seem like these guys, once they're off the floor, uh, it's, it's all, all good. But I would have to imagine that that's pretty difficult to, to push those feelings to the side and be able to just compartmentalize them the way that they do. It is now that point in the podcast where we want to bless your timeline. And Chris Paul, after the game, blessed all of our timelines. And you heard it right there at the top of our podcast. All we wanted was a chance. Game seven, anything can happen. And that's the mentality that not only Chris Paul has, but everybody on this Thunder roster has. They just wanted a chance. Really shades of Kevin Garnett after winning the NBA finals with the Boston Celtics. Anything's possible. <laughs> Chris Paul really channeling that there with that quote. Game seven, anything can happen though. He's exactly right. Improbable, uh, I think, according to a lot of outside prognosticators that the Thunder would even be in this position. The fact that it's, it, it's just a truism that this is the most playoff games that the Thunder has won um, in many years since 2016 uh, and now on the brink of being able to make it to the second round having the opportunity to go play against the Los Angeles Lakers. LeBron actually tweeted at Chris Paul after game six and said respect the name CP3. I mean just there's a lot of mutual respect there and Chris Paul said after this game it, this group is so competitive. Like it really doesn't matter what anybody says because there is that much competitiveness and fight and belief in that locker room. And the funniest quote for me was 
with how competitive I am and, and our teammates are, it doesn't matter if I'm playing against my mom or my aunties out there on the floor. We're going to hoop and we're going to leave it all out there. It really doesn't matter. And you can expect that same energy from this Thunder team and Chris Paul going into this pivotal game seven. That's all for today's podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to like, rate, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much to our producer. And until next time, thunder up and catch you later.